0: Now I don't hear the static. Do you still hear the static?
1: No, that fixed it.
0: Interesting. Yeah, so I I am I'm hearing you through the speakers of my TV, my monitor for my computer, you know? Yeah. But I'm used to just doing that, doing it through my headset. So this is kind of throwing me off, but it is what it is. I don't even know how I'm able to hear. I guess I'm I'm just hearing you through the video to the Zoom. I guess that makes sense. But as long as you can hear me, that's all that matters to me.
1: Yeah, I can hear you. Are you getting
0: better audio since you're not getting the static?
1: Yeah, I can hear you a lot better now. Okay. Well, very cool. Well, thanks for joining me. Yes, sir. Yeah, no, we've been talking online for a while. We've uh, been hanging out in some of the same Facebook groups there and Christian Podcast Association and been following some of the same people online. So we've been talking about doing a podcast for a couple of weeks and here we are. Yep. So how did you get interested in libertarian politics? I'm curious.
0: Yeah, um, I grew up, you know, my dad just being like a total Republican, you know, he was just all about it and just very conservative and, you know, just hated anybody who was a Democrat, you know, just kind of that mindset. And um, I remember growing up, you know, hearing about like the wars and everything and always being like, man, everybody's so charged up about this, but I didn't really care about it at the time. But later on, I started seeing how people were attacking other people, other conservative Christians. Like when I was in Bible college, I started thinking about it more. Cause that when I was in Bible college in 2016 was when Trump was coming around and he was super controversial, right? Um, in the conservative world, like some people were like, oh, he's not, nah, we need to like, he's, you know, his he's kind of like principled guy. He's going to get it done. He's, he's not swampy. And then people were like, he's sketchy. Like he's kind of like Clinton. Like he has a sketch, sketchy sexual life. And so then, basically, my buddy was like, hey, like, there's another option. I was like, what? And so he's like, yeah, libertarianism. And I'm like, okay, what's that? And so he basically just told me what it was. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's like, kind of what I already think. Like, I don't think that they should attack people, like, just because they don't agree with them, you know. So he just kind of got me in through the religious freedom door, basically. And I kind of like, that was all I cared about for a long time. I was like 18 or 19. And then a few years later, like when, like, just basically things got more heated. And you know, people, you know, especially with COVID, especially with COVID, I got more interested in like, all right, this is crazy. Like the government did what, like they are doing this. And so, Um. well, but I, I mean, just over time, I just naturally got more and more into it, you know, as I started to look into it and I was like, oh, there's free markets, like those are legit. And so, but the main reason I'm really a libertarian, at least initially was really just freedom. That's all I really cared about. Like I just cared about people being able to like live their own lives, like and pursue their own happiness. You know, that was the main way I got into it, you know.
1: Yeah. No, I hear you. So how old are you now?
0: Um, yeah, I'm 27 now. So I've been a libertarian for maybe like half a decade, maybe. Okay.
1: Yeah, very cool. Yeah. So I'm a little older than you. I'm 34 and I became a libertarian. Nah, I don't know about the age 25 or so is when it really started kind of clicking for me. The thing that did it for me was when I was in Iraq because I was in the military for like 12 years and when I was 18, you know, I was a, you know, a hardcore neocon. I, uh, you know, it was all about George Bush and, and the war. And I thought I needed to get in on that. And so I did. Uh, and, you know, kind of through those experiences is really what changed my mind. <laughs> and I think a lot of veterans will tell you that they're young, idealistic men. But when they get in there, they realize that it's not at all what they sell it to you. Uh, you know, you have this romantic idea of what being in the military is like and fighting for freedom and defending the country and all these other things. And then it doesn't take very long, yeah, probably two years before you kind of start seeing, you know, how it really is, and especially if you spend any time overseas or any time in like a kind of like a forward deployed combat type scenario, you quickly realize that uh, what they're selling is not what they're delivering. And for me, you know, I was in military intelligence, so I got to see some of the back end type stuff. I got to kind of see the the tactical tip of the spear, foreign policy, uh, the boots on the ground kind of a thing. And you know, what you see in the news is not very accurate about what's really happening. And I quickly realized that you know that the narrative of Freedom and defending the country, and you know this, that, and the other, was a bunch of hogwash. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, I, I realized how much money we waste. So I, I saw the military-industrial complex from end to end, uh, and that was really what kind of spurred me to be a libertarian. You know, and I would always had kind of libertarian leanings, but I always kind of wrestled with a lot of various uh issues within libertarianism and i still do uh there is no perfect uh political ideology they all have their draw drawbacks but where i land is definitely kind of the uh the menarchist paleo conservative type uh i'm not a full anarchist i'm definitely not a neocon uh so yeah kind of that monarchy type uh place is really the most comfortable spot for me and i find that to be the most compatible too with with christianity which i know you probably would agree with that as well
0: yeah i hope so um right now i'm actually writing a book with a buddy he's been he keeps delaying it but we're basically doing a theonomy versus christian libertarian book so as much as i love the books that have come out um i'm so thankful for them the uh the call to freedom and um Faith Seeking Freedom are both like come from like the Christian Libertarian podcast, like that group of people. Like they have the institute, the Christian Libertarian Institute, like all that. I'm super thankful for the efforts. Cause like, you know, to be a Christian libertarian, you're like a weirdo. Like, like nobody <laughs> understands it. Like you're just like, what? Like, you think people should like be like be free, you like to do whatever they want? You're like, ah, uh, you know, a lot of back tra- tracing and stuff. So I'm thankful for their work. Like I remember they they went to uh they went to like a college and they were talking about freedom and it was like a Christian college, and they're like, So is there any works on this? There's like Yeah, there's not a lot. So, yeah, for sure. But I've been, you know, part of the thing, in my opinion, and this is one thing that we really click on, is that we're both minarchists. We both believe the government is legitimate. We just want to figure out how to limit it as much as possible. But a lot of people I've met in the libertarian world, both more secular and Christian, is like most of them are anarchists. Most of them are like, I mean, how can we say the government is good at all? Like, you know, how can we justify it at all? You know, so... I think being it, so like a lot of their cases are like, when they go into scripture and they try and make a biblical case for Christianity, for libertarianism, they go in and say, oh, these texts, like Romans 13, well, I don't know. And so like when I went into their books, I just kind of thought their exegesis wasn't like super strong, you know? So that's what what I'm passionate about is like making a biblical case for it. And so that's why I'm writing a a multi-view book with my buddy. So that's something I'm very, very passionate about. And I think about it a lot is the compatibility of, the new covenant, especially, right. And libertarianism, you know, versus theonomy, I think is a very old covenant kind of, you know, we're just kind of trying to, okay, this is the old covenant. This is how it was with Israel. Let's just continue to apply that. I'm like, no, 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 we got a new covenant. There's something different about it, right. This continuity. So trying to flesh that out and, and seeing, you know, how the covenants relate with each other and applying that to libertari- libertarianism. So yeah, for sure. I agree with you. I'm actually studying it in depth. is, is, a, is a short of it.
1: Yeah. You know, and it it's, it's interesting that anarchists, I give the secular, the atheist anarchists, I give them credit because they're not Christian. They're not beholden to our ideology there. So I give them credit. But the Christians I struggle with a little bit more because right. Romans 13, we can talk about it till yeah, the, the cows exactly. come home, but it, it plainly says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. That's that's right. the first sentence, the governing yeah. authorities. Uh, that 's pretty black and white, you know, so the idea that there should not be a government i just i don 't see any way without doing mental gymnastics uh, that that can be compatible with Romans thirteen right yeah, you know God established the government, he put boundaries on the government of what it should do and how it should act, and the things that it should and should not enforce, and that 's fine, but what it doesn 't do is it doesn 't go into great detail on exactly the laws that they should have, the types of taxes they should, right. There just needs to be a government, right. Right. And it should have a very rough outline of, uh, prosecuting bad guys. Right. I think we would all basically agree on that. Uh, but there's so much room within that to be compatible with the types of government, the scopes of government, uh, who runs government, and that's where the monarchy thing really is perfect because uh, we as Christians believe there should be a government to help, you know, work out conflict between people. Uh, even the Jews, you know, the old Jews, they had that, you know, you would go to your local guys and they would help you work out disagreements so it doesn't end in bloodshed and violence. Like that's a good thing. And that's basically a government. And I always kind of rejected anarchy. And you know? I always use the the wild, wild west as an example, you know. The Western frontier, because I live in Kansas, right? Dodge City was a classic frontier town, which was just very lawless. And it was about four days before the people got together, banded together and started a government, right? You had all the shop owners and the people who lived there in the early days, they got together. They said, this violence is out of control. We need to do something about it. Let's, uh, let's think of some good ideas. Well, guess what? That's government, right? And that's government at the the purest sense of people working together voluntarily to collaborate on something that benefits everybody. Right. And that's, yeah. that's government, right. That's not necessarily, right. uh, bringing in the, the U S army. Necessarily
0: want to defend themselves, you know, like that's part of the thing. It's like, all oh, everybody should have a no gun and they should be able to defend themselves. You know? but it's like even back then they had a marshal and a deputy it's only two guys but you gotta have somebody who's like all right i'm gonna be willing to go to town you know Mm -hmm. you gotta have some middleman you know what i mean yeah especially for like women and kids and stuff like you gotta have somebody to step in there
1: yeah yeah because if you don't then everybody is is on board to take watch right to defend against indian attack and cattle rustlers and bank robbers and you know the shopkeeper who's 90 years old is he going to be wanting to do that uh you know makes more sense that you know a younger guy does that it makes more sense that that's one guy's full-time job right so he doesn't have to stop farming so he can go take watch tonight because it's his turn well no one's protecting his family when he's there, so yeah, government is fine. Government should have always been very small, and it should have always served the people, and it no longer does that.
0: Yeah, it's I, yeah. I think about it a lot now. Like even the police, like you know, like they're the practical level of it. It's like so many of their laws are not really protecting. Like so many of their laws are like parenting, you know, and like just babysitting you know what i mean it's just Mm -hmm. so it's tricky you know yeah
1: well cops specifically city cops so there's so many things with cops in america right now and what people kind of get mixed up is they lump all cops together which is unfair 99 percent of the the drama that we have with police officers in this country are municipal police which are police who work for the police chief who is nominated by the city council right right, and almost never do you see a county sheriff 's deputy wrapped up in a lot of this kind of drama. It happens from time to time, but it 's rare, and the reason why is because the county sheriff is an elected official right he works for us, so he has a tighter rope on what his people are doing right, right. he 's mostly working in the rural areas where people are less likely to be involved in all kinds of major crimes, so there 's just a lot to consider there. but cops, when we talk about cops as, as, you know, as a problem in municipalities, their number one job is revenue enforcement for the state right, and their second job, if there 's time, is to do good and protect citizens. But, you know, the Supreme Court actually ruled that cops don't have a constitutional duty to protect citizens. Right. is scary.
0: Yeah, I think I learned that from you from one of your old podcasts. I heard you say that. Somebody was saying that. I was like, what in the world?
1: Yeah, so that came out of one of the school shootings. I think it was uh, Stoneman Douglas. Was that in Florida or Georgia? I don't remember. But anyway, the cops stood outside while... The guy was inside just laying waste to the kids and didn't go inside. And this is all on camera. And people are like, what are you doing? Get in there. And he didn't do anything. He just froze. And then that went all the way to the Supreme Court. And they ruled that he does not have a constitutional duty to protect those kids. And if you don't have a constitutional duty to protect those kids – why do we need police right what what is their job
0: well especially if you have the school being a non-gun place you know what i mean like you have this thing outside like no guns allowed right so that's like super sketchy right you have a bunch of vulnerable kids they're not allowed to have guns they get suspended if they do right or even like even a knife right but then the police won't defend them if somebody walks in like that's that's terrible you know that's Mm -hmm. a really bad scenario
1: yeah, it is. So the state systematically removes our ability to defend ourselves while also n- admitting that they are not going to protect us either. So what they've done is they've taken institutional approach to victimization of the American populace and w- large swaths of the country. You know, so a uh, police response time on average is like six minutes at best. And six minutes is a long time. If you're waiting for somebody to come rescue you, you know, in some of these cities where they're really hard on guns, like Chicago, Chicago had uh, pistols outlawed for the longest time. You couldn't own a pistol in Chicago. You still can't own AR-15s. My buddy lives there right now. It's totally against the law. Uh, They finally got the pistol thing overturned several years ago, but for a while there, basically you basically couldn't own guns in Chicago. Uh, In Washington, D.C., it's still kind of that way, but yeah, so they've just, they want us all to be victims, so they want us to rely 100% on the state for our protection, and then, (laughs) you know, for us to be okay with that, so it's just psychotic is really what it is.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, ultimately it comes down to their abusers. They don't, you know, they don't conceive of it like that, but that is abuse, you know, for somebody to be completely codependent on them. I mean, the welfare state, I mean, all these systems they set up, they just say, Oh, we're going to help you. But ultimately it just is detrimental. Like my wife, her, her mother, she has a Mm -hmm. back problem. She's like perpetually on, you know, government assistance. And I'm like, trying to figure out ways. Like, I'm like, Oh, you can do Uber on the side, you know? And she's like, I'm not allowed to make over $600 a month myself. It's like, man, how that's tough. You know, like she just has to live on that money and she can't make any more. That's really crippling to your psychology and your mind to think, I just, I'm not allowed to make any money. I mean, 600 bucks a month is really nothing, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's nothing. I mean, that's, I mean, that's groceries for my family, you know, $600 exactly. a month, family of four. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame, you know, and I often think about how we got to this point. And you would have to kind of rewind the clock 75 years to really understand. America has always really dabbled with socialism and communism. That's not new, right? When you go back to the, the very early days of people founding this country, the story of the, the Thanksgiving, right? Right. You know, we think about that as, you know, the Indians helped us and we survived the winter. But before that, even what they did was they dabbled in, in socialism. And that was why things were so bad initially is because they had community farms and everybody basically starved to death. And then they realized that that's not going to work because it just does something to people's psyche and they don't want to work if it's not something they don't own and own the rights to. So when they started doing private farms and they broke them up, well, then everything got better because a man owned his land and he owned his crops. So he worked. 10 times as hard because if he didn't, he wouldn't eat, right? It's just basic psychology. Uh, but we've dabbled with that for so long, like FDR, right? Guy was a socialist. Uh, Communist Party has always been a thing in the 20th century. Ever since communism, it was invented. And we've struggled with that since day one. I personally think that communists have really gotten the upper hand in the last 20 years, especially in academia, which has been cycled back into uh domestic policy
0: yeah that's the thing that blows my mind is in the 90s we had the cold war and we asked we had that whole escalation right and supposedly that was over capitalism versus communism whatever you know and my generation literally was born while that was happening the younger millennials you know And then we grow up and say, yeah, let's do it. It's like, what? that is insane. You know, it's like, do y'all not remember anything from school? Like, I don't get it. You know, I don't get how we just totally forgot about that. You know? And it's like people, it's frustrating to me. The biggest thing that frustrates me the most is like when people are so like on purpose, they don't want to know how economics really works. Like scarcity and, you know, how like, like supply and demand work and like money, you know, like the stimulus all these stimulus checks, like they're, they're jacking up the dollar. Like it's people are freaking out, you know? So yeah,
1: it's a, it's a shame, man. I mean, I have younger friends too. I have a, a good buddy I work with. He's your age, maybe just a year or two younger, but he's a fairly conservative guy, but he tells me about his friends and they're the younger millennial, almost Gen Z yeah. uh, type age. I don't know exactly what age that would break off, but I'm an old millennial myself, you know, 34. And some of the things that his friends believe are crazy and a lot of it comes from college well it, it comes partially from college where they're indoctrinated into a postmodern worldview which is basically uh, the death of western society and then on top of that it's a lot of programming they're receiving from the culture and they're getting it from TikTok and instagram and youtube and the music they're listening to right and it's it's programming is what it is
0: I mean, that's what happens when you don't, you know, when you don't take seriously learning, you know, <clears throat> you, <clears throat> you're naturally going to be a product. Like you're going to be, you are going to be brainwashed if you don't keep yourself from being brainwashed. Like it's the nature of indoctrination. Like it doesn't just like, do will just come to you and tell you you're believing communism. You know, they just give you little tidbits here or there, or, you know, you know what I mean? You don't realize it, but you're just like, oh, I believe that. That sounds probable. That sounds nice you know, but I think it's tough, because I heard on the Dave Ramsey program, like, you know, our generation is very, was very spoiled, and, you know, we, we, our parents, like, give us everything we wanted to, and we got everything we wanted, so it's, like, our psychology says, like, we can do anything, and, like, if you, I was listening to a guy on the Value Attainment, um, it's another podcast, and he was saying that, um liberals like if you look at their like on in general like their psychology like they're very optimistic and they think that they can make the world better right and so that's obviously why they want to pass all these laws to control everybody and but they obviously normally have higher educations they're more technically smart but they're not as happy and they're not as wise you know and so that's the thing i think that's very accurate of them like if you look like conservatives versus like liberals like conservatives don't want to change you're like why do we need to change things like why do we need to keep moving forward like in a hegelian way like keep you know oh we got gonna make it more and more and more and more and more why do we keep changing you know and i think that's what's tough is like i couldn't get like as a millennial in a you know my wife's a gen z like we're kind of like the border area she's uh 23 you know like her peers have this optimism and you want to respect it like that's good like you think that the world could be a better place tomorrow right But it's, like, the way they go about it is to try and, like, control other people. Like, oh, it's past laws to, like, tell people how to live their lives. Mm -hmm. You know? And it's very scary. Like, it's very scary to come in and say, like, my view of the future is the view in the future. You know? It's, like, that's not what... Like, the American experiment isn't, like, based on, like, one view that everyone should compile into, right? And be forced to, like, like, to, to, you know, to bow to. Like, that's never been the way it ought to be. And that's why I another note the same guy was talking about why he moved to florida and I, i've been thinking about it it's interesting because he said like he, he said i'm more like conservative kind of guy but he was saying like florida is is a purple state like he's like you will meet a democrat republican or you meet a libertarian but it's like the key is they don't they're not like they, like in california if you're a republican they're gonna like tattletale on you like oh it's a republican oh my gosh you know but over there, it's like, whatever, like, hey, you're libertarian, cool, like you're a Republican, cool, whatever, like, do your thing. It's more tolerant. But I think that's like true tolerance, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, like, even though they're not all libertarians, that's the spirit of the libertarian mindset, right? It's like, hey, I don't like that you like more government spending, but I can respect you, right? And like, allow you to govern your own self, you know, like, do your own thing, you have your own mind, Right. And so that's what's tricky about it is, but what's interesting is, what is Florida? Florida has a lot of older people, right? It's where people go to retire. So it makes sense that that would be a place where people are more open-minded because they've had decades and decades of seeing all these things happen and they're like, man, people are going to come to their own conclusions. Like I'm an old man, I ain't changing, you know, but young people, they like to band together and work together and social media, I feel like is, in that way is negative. You know, it's made everybody. We could just talk to each other so quickly and so easily and collaborate together. People just—it's like that mob mentality is so freaking strong, you know. And it—it it makes them feel empowered, you know. Like with the Minnesota thing recently, all of a sudden people just show up and go attack the same buildings. Like, are we just gonna do this every time? Like, you know, it's like, why are we so violent? You know, like, why do we gotta like be? Yeah. Because that doesn't change anybody's mind, you know. Even yeah. Joe Biden came out and was like, we shouldn't do this, you know. So it's just the mindset that our generation has is tricky.
1: Well, what you're seeing there is you're seeing the end result of generations of programming. And I really do believe it's programming and I do believe it's intentional. You know, it's, it's not, it's not any accident that people just show up by the hundreds and then start burning down buildings. That's organized. And you know, you may or may not know, but the communist threat has been the biggest thing that we've been dealing with since like 1900 uh, as a as a Western society. Now, there's been a lot of ideas that have come and gone, but that one right. will not die. And you mentioned the Cold War, right? We fought the entire Cold <coughs> War to kind of uh, stem some of that off and got involved in a lot of things overseas, which cost us thousands of lives and trillions of dollars, but. What we failed to do is we failed to shore up our own defenses within our society as far as the ideology goes. Right. And communism got a foothold in academia. And that is how it has become so prevalent. In the 1950s or so, the, you know, the beatnik movement and the peacenik movement shortly thereafter turned into the, you know, the hippies Um, and then from there that kind of spawned into the postmodernists and now the thing that really is kind of going to be the nail in the coffin for Western society is critical theory, but all of this stuff comes from the same places and it comes from the, the ultra liberal academics and you know, the Ivy leagues and it's now it's trickling down to even the community colleges, the high schools, the middle schools, and it's become so prolific and, what we're seeing is it's actually affecting federal policy and Eisenhower, you know, being the smart man that he was back in the day when he was president, he had a farewell address and everybody remembers him saying, you know, don't get in bed with the military industrial complex. But the thing that often gets overlooked is he also talks about academia in the same way, right? His warning for the military industrial complex of becoming too powerful and having too much effect on foreign policy, he also mentioned the same as far as science and academia and He said that the prospect of domination of the of the nation 's scholars by federal employment project allocation and the power of money is ever present and is gravely to be regarded yet in holding scientific discovery and respect as we should we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite and that is exactly what happened yep he was right about the military industrial complex. Affecting, Fauci
0: is a good case in point of that, right?
1: Yeah, Fauci. You know, and they, they bring in all these experts from academia, and then they are the ones who affect the policy. So we have the foreign policy affected by uh, you know, the military, we have the internal policy affected by the academics. And that should never be that way. And the only reason it is that way is because he saw that these funding projects going to colleges would have this inevitable effect, right? It's that revolving door. Money goes into colleges. Uh, professors get lobbying degrees professors beget nice chairmanships on advisory councils and it it never ends it's just back and forth the same way it is with the military industrial complex so what we're seeing is we're seeing a guy like Biden who is really the fulfillment of this ideology that's been kicking around for a long time you know and he's signing things like the the transgender thing that's encouraging Uh, the Department of Education, to look at having mandatory transgender athletes so boys can compete against girls. Uh, And then the locker room stuff would be the next thing. And that's where all of this is coming from. It's not Biden per se. It's really kind of the, the academics that are really pushing this agenda when nobody really believes this stuff in mass.
0: Yeah, I was listening to Candace Owens, and she was talking about that. You know who Candace Owens is. Yep. Yeah, she was talking about that. She was like, "I am kind of whistleblowing because I think that, um, like the they like they want to make it seem like most people believe this stuff, but I think, but she was saying basically the stats say that most people are conservative, mm-hmm. but obviously they're trying to change that reality. Like it's like for ten long enough, people are going to think it, and then you know, then before you know it, people start thinking it, and then it becomes a different reality, right? Yep." So that's what's tricky about it, too, is um, I don't know if it was you or I don't know which podcast I was listening to, but oh, it was um, uh, Dave Ramsey, I'm pretty sure, and they were somebody was calling in, and they said, hey, they're trying to – no, it was Vodi, Vody, Vody He was uh, – I don't know if you know who that is. He's like the GOAT on CRT. He wrote the recent book, Fault Lines, on it. Somebody call, called in, and he was doing like a QA on it, and um, somebody said, hey, like I'm a teacher – and they're trying to come to me and make me, like, read, like, white fragility. And, like, basically, they, they came to, like, in a, in, a really, in a weird, like, indirect, like, bureaucratic way. Like, hey, uh, we just wanted to bring you white fragility. And, like, we wanted to see how you were, you know, we wanted to, we were just curious of how you're going to implement this into your classroom, right? And she's like, I don't agree with this. You know, I don't, you know what I mean? She's like, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. And he's like, just get your resume ready. Get out. But that's the whole thing. So, can, like, true conservatives who don't agree with this are being squeezed out. And then conservatives like me, who like, I've actually, I literally have cards where I'm like, I like up until COVID, like right before COVID, I was like planning on or thinking about being a teacher. I wanted to go to private school, but I wanted to be a history teacher, you know, but ever since COVID and big government and I saw how the schools have been handling everything and I saw CRT get bigger. And then I heard that I was like, oh man, I'm done. I don't, I mean, I don't know what to do. Like, and the problem is, is like, cause I have a bachelor's, if I get a certificate, right, I could potentially, how do I you know, I would have to somehow figure out a way to get around it and go to private school, maybe, but a lot of private schools might even be going woke too, you know, Christian private schools. So it's like, they're basically, they're squeezing out anybody who's not woke, basically by doing that, right? by saying, hey, we're wondering how you're going to teach this, right? White fragility, you know, CRT, basically, they're basically like, we want you to teach CRT to like all the students, which almost 90% of people go to public schools right and then me i'm like oh oh no, I, I don't, i'm not gonna be a teacher so they're making it even worse like this is like last stage where it's like now we're tying in like the racial tension that we've always kind of had in the racial history and like tying it in with communism to where you can't like it's like hard to divorce it you know like mm-hmm. it's like oh it's race like well you know you're racist then it's like no i'm rejecting communism like you're you know, like they're marrying these two together in this like weird binding. And it's like, Oh no, like, you know, you're just, you're just a racist. You're like, no, I'm not a racist. You know, it's like, they try and like make it out something that it's not, you know, you're like, no, I reject like the economics of this. And I reject like the logic of oppressor and oppression like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, they like make it very difficult to reject it. Cause it makes it seem like you're just a bigot if you go against it. It's like, no, I, I just, I reject like the foundation of it. You're just like the, like the head of the thing is race. Like, you know, you're trying to make it about race, but, you know, that's what's frustrating is I know it's so demonic. Like I know the devil, like I'm not a big, like, Oh, the devil, but it's like, it has to be the devil. It makes so much sense. Right. Like it's such a masterful evil thing for him to do this. Cause it like, it's so deceptive. Like it's so easy to like get pulled into it, you know, because mm-hmm. there are some facts about it. That's true. But it's like, in general, like, the foundations of it are wrong, you know? And it's like, yeah, Blacks have had a tough situation, you know? They have been, like, brought down by the welfare state. Like, the Democrats have tricked them, you know? But, um, yeah, so it's just, it's, it's sad that it's gone from it, the, how they, it's so crazy and it's genius, but it's sad how they've been able to take over all these different areas, you know? And even, like, SBC seminaries are falling now, which those are, like, those are, I mean, they, they when I was, sort of, put it in perspective um i used to be a youth pastor at a church and the guy who was a pastor there when he was going to uh, southwestern the school i went to they were going or they're about to go through the conservative resurgence so when he was going to school there the things were so sketchy that they didn't talk about theology much all they talked about was "Can can can we trust the bible you know all the historical jesus basically they were having conversations about the trustworthiness of god and jesus and You know, basically, can we even trust it all together? Like, they were having, like, conservative-liberal conversations. By the time I got there, the conservative resurgence had happened, so we were actually talking theology, right? We When we trusted the Bible, it was inerrant. But now that I've left, I graduated in 2017. Now, like, they got rid of Paige Patterson. He was one of the big guys. And now, you know, they have um, woke people as as the presidents, and they have all this woke stuff. Uh, You know, John Harris, his uh, podcast, conversations that matter, like a, a huge part of his podcast is literally just whistleblowing on all these different people going, woke. he went to SEBTS, which is Southeastern. And so even it's that's what really bothers me too, is like, before they had it in the liberal universities, right, all these Ivy League schools, they had it in like the liberal Christian seminary, the liberal Christian schools, but now finally, they're making progress into, they're dividing like big name denominations they're going in and infiltrating into the major Southern Baptist major denominational seminaries that have hundreds, if not thousands of students that come through, they're going to learn it in their classroom. Right. And they're going to go teach each other to their co So it's like, even in church, they're going to get it, you know, from the jump. So it's like, it's just, it's been an insane takeover, you know, that they've done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate and it's prolific. There's a really good article series by John Piper, and he talks about critical race theory. And it was kind of a rebuke of a, another guy who was criticizing uh, Southern Baptist pastors, black pastors, for preaching critical race theory. And the black pastor was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't, I've never heard of this term. He's like, I'm not preaching that. You know, And this commentator was like, absolutely, you are preaching critical race theory Here's what it is. Here's how it started. Here's what it means. This is what you said. You're teaching this. And it's unchristian. And the guy was like, oh, crap. I didn't even know that. You know. So John Piper is kind of commenting as a third party observer on this whole scenario. And he's really breaking down what critical race theory is. And there's nothing Christian about critical race theory. But it's deceptive because it feels Christian, right? Because it feels it feels good. Uh, it feels good to be talking about race in such a way that you think you're on the right side of it, and you think you're doing the Lord's work, and you're doing uh, justice right. by all these people.
0: Anti-racism, but, right?
1: Yeah, but you're not, right? Because <laughs> you're not. You just not. And for nobody, for people who don't know what critical race theory is, yeah. in a nutshell critical race theory is the idea if you remove God completely and remove the (sighs) sense of objective reality and objective morality, then what you're left with is individuals making their own deterministic points of view of reality and morality. And everything is subjective, right? And on top of that, if you and I were to have a conversation, right, and you have your opinions and I have my opinions and my opinions come from 5,000 years of Christian thought and education plus the, the Western worldview, right. Of facts, logic, reason, rhetoric. Uh, and I come to you and you're a postmodernist who holds uh, critical race theory true. And you've been educated in that. You are going to call me a, a uh, oppressive uh, white patriarchy guy, right? Because I'm using my system of facts, logic, reason to convince you that you're wrong, right? And that's oppression. And what is so demonic about this is it is it stops us from communicating at all, ever. Because at that point, you know, I believe in objective facts, logic, and reason. You don't. Uh, and you won't even talk to me because I'm a, a racist bigot. Homophobe, uh, white cisgendered patriarchy, <laughs> you whatever you want to call me, right? We can't even discuss the problems anymore. And not even that, even if you were willing to discuss the problems with me and willing to have a conversation with me, we would have to spend a year just defining terms before we could even have a uh, willing, thoughtful conversation. That's how bad it's gotten right? How do you have a logical conversation about worldview or politics or anything with somebody who doesn't even know what gender they are? You can't do it. It's just not possible. We're speaking different languages. And the longer this goes on, the wider that divide is going to get.
0: Yep, that's very true. It's, it's, that's what's, it's very hard to, to, you know, it's like, I'm okay with a a plurality of, of views, you know, but it's one thing to be like, Hey, you know, I have a different religion. I go by different texts, but we just like, you know, we just happen to like, end up with different deities. Right. But it's a totally other thing to be like, nah, I just make up things and like, whatever I think is real. It's like, okay, I don't like, you just need to go in the loony bin. Like these people used to literally like be loonies yeah <laughs> like you think about it like you just say like I'm a deer Uh okay let's throw this guy in a loony bin and give him some freaking like I don't, this guy's crazy like what yep. like you're a deer what Like I don't know what to do with you like how do I interact with you like I don't know you know but now these people you know they're protected like they're like endangered species or something you know
1: yeah it's a uh, it's sad in Government is really to blame you know it 's the cyclical view of history of you know hard times create hard men right. hard, hard men create good times, good times create easy men and easy men create hard times and you know that 's been true over and over and over again, and these people exist because they can exist because we live in the cushiest period of human existence right now in 2021 and You know, it's kind of the idea of they sit around and have too much time to think because they're not working in the foods, trying to grow food to survive, where these kinds of ideas won't work. But you know, what does work is the traditional uh, Western worldview. You know, it was it was the one thing that fits in all circumstances. Uh, And it's unfortunate that they throw the baby out with the bathwater. But it's also unfortunate because that won't always be the case. We know that good times come, bad times come. And the people who are gonna make it through the bad times are gonna be the people who have a good head on their shoulders, who can think straight, you know, and aren't reliant on the government. And the government, unfortunately, is going to be engineering those bad times basically any day now with the financial stuff. And when that happens, it's it's gonna be hard. But I think that's kind of where the opportunity is gonna come for people like us is to really have a chance at doing the evangelical work in a way that's never been done before.
0: Yeah, on a more positive note, you know, John MacArthur, he was talking about the state of the church earlier. And, you know, he's a really famous pastor. And he's the guy that's kind of been fighting the lockdowns in California, if you don't know who he is. But he was saying that this is a time where solid doctrine is just rampant i mean millions of people because of the internet are able to hear truth you know so on the other side of it like this is the church he's like this is the opportunity for the church to really be able to get the message out there on a level that's just never been in before you know with yeah. with the way things are
1: no absolutely it's like
0: people are literally so ignorant of god like on another note real quick like I met this guy uh, uh, one time at school and I was like, yeah, he was like a Muslim or something. I was like, do you know who Jesus is? He's like, literally, like, I don't even know who that is. Like, you know, so it's like, in many ways, I'd rather have a blank slate than be talking to a Mormon who thinks he knows who Jesus is, right? Mm -hmm. So in many ways, like I'd, in many ways, I'd rather have somebody who doesn't know anything. And so it's just like a pure, like, obviously they're still sinful, but I'm saying like in their mind, they don't have like definitions of who Jesus is already. Like I saw Douglas Wilson, he was at a college, And he was like explaining such simple stuff that like in the Bible belt, I'm like, dude, I just know that I knew this stuff since I was like five. These people like he's having to explain like basic Christian things, like basic biblical ideas, like because he was like in a very liberal school. So in that way, we have the advantage of a reset in my in my mind. Like, you know, they don't know anything. And a lot of people have no idea like the history of the church and the history of what God's done in Jesus. And so in that way, we have a big advantage to be able to really hop in there and be like, all right, here's who God is, you know, and the internet allows us to reach out to everyone, millions of people, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's an exciting time. You know, I, I think that we're uniquely positioned. I think the, the critical race theory, the communism stuff, that kills people's soul. Yeah. There are a lot of soulless people who cling on to that because they need something to fill the void that's in them. Unfortunately, right. they find that, but that kills people's souls, especially men. Um, men, men above women, really, they really need that identity. They really need that purpose. And if they don't have it, they kind of self-destruct. And read an interesting statistic the other day that you know, right around the dot-com boom and bust of 2000 2001 frame, the rates of religious affiliation in this country went down. It was like 75% and now it's like 47% and dropping. The biggest change between belief and unbelief is white liberal women who are college educated millennials living on the East coast. By far, they're the fastest dropping percentage oh people who claim to be believers. And what's interesting about that is, yeah, that kind of makes sense because, you know, we talk about the college thing and the academia thing um, and kind of the center of the of the beast. It's further than that. It comes back to dads. You know, these women are going off to college, but they're not going off to college with a firm foundation. And nine times out of 10, if a dad goes to church, the rest of the family goes with him. And we're at a war right now. This is a spiritual <laughs> war, but if you know anything about history, you know that the use of propaganda is rampant, right? And any time that a war starts, propaganda follows. Propaganda precedes the battle. We're in the propaganda phase right now. So the, the left, under the influence of Satan, essentially, has been using propaganda to sideline the men for the longest times, right? We're sidelined by... The critical race theory stuff, the uh, cisgendered white male patriarchy stuff, the race yeah, the
0: feminization, the feminization of men, yeah, as Jordan Peterson talks about.
1: Yep, the feminizing of, of men, and Christianity has not done us any favors there. Uh, so what's happening right now is men are, men have dropped out of church. You know, my father's generation dropped out of church, and now my generation is leaving church at an expedited rate, uh, being that second generation removed from it. So it's getting kind of ugly, but I think that there's a good opportunity because if we can get the men, right, and the communism stuff, it, men know that that's junk. Right. And it's mostly women who are driving this at the academic level, at the federal level, you know, and it's these white liberal women who are really pushing all this junk. And as they get older, I think the trend is they'll generally become more conservative because that's just kind of how it happens. Right but they can't do it alone, right? They're going to have to get the men and the men aren't buying it. You know, there's going to be some beta guys who follow that because they they want women, right? And if that's what the women are doing in their area, well, then they'll do it too because they want to get with women. Uh, and that's just natural. But by and large, men are going to reject this whole thing. And I do think that there is the opportunity to reach men, but we're not doing a very good job right now at doing that. But if we recognize that, institutionally if we get the men, everybody else will follow
0: yeah i think two two really important parts that kind of actually play into each into itself is like right now the church is you know it's not very strong it doesn't have a big god a lot of the churches and a lot of the pastors are really weak men like a lot in my opinion a lot of men pastors are very like they don't have the backbone like their preaching is very tickly of the ears and you know, it's dominated by a woman presence, like you said, a lot of men have run away, right? And so, you know, for the men, they see the church as this a very effeminate, very weak, docile kind of place, you know, they don't see it as a very masculine place right now. Um, and then for the women, um, intersectionality is empowering, it's like a gun to them, right? Um, to them it's the great equalizer, why? Because, the, what's the what's the number one place where the low the intersectionality, right? So intersectionality is kind of you know is a, a birth from CRT. Bodie talks about the lady who made intersectionality was a disciple of the guy who Derek Bell was the she the he was a, he was the man who made critical race theory. He discipled the chick that basically found intersectionality. But basically, you know, the more oppressed you are, as they say, whether it's like you know a minority or a woman or whatever, like you know you're multigendered, all these different things, you get more points. On the bottom of that point system is white Christian, you know, male men, right? And, you know, especially like patriarchal, like, like you know, leading men, right? Well, if you are going to find men that are real men that are, you know, on their scale of negativity, like low on the intersectionality scale, it's going to be in the church, right? The church is going to breed that value. And so then they're able to condemn the church in that sense, using their point system as look the the patriarchy they're all in the church it's a bunch of it's all a bunch of muslims and christians look they're all they're all a bunch of mass you know whatever machismo dudes so you have the the few guys that are solid are there but then a lot of other guys running away and so it's just kind of this weird dynamic where women use intersectionality to empower themselves and to feel like oh we can just stay away from those white christian men like "Ah, they're patriarchal you know And they can try and like push men down and make them feel like, what the heck? Like, I'm just trying to be a good man, you know? And that's where they like flip in like, oh, be like us, be feminine, you know? And then, like I said, so then it just creates this weird like flocking where men are running away and they're going to like, you like like Jordan Peterson, they're following men like Jordan Peterson and other men who are real men in the culture, right? And they're following them and like, this is real manhood. Like, don't be scared. Don't back down. Stand for principle, right? don't let them tell you what to believe, like, don't be indoctrinated, like they're lying to you, right? Like, you know, and they flock to that, because what they want, they want men, they want men to stand up, you know, and so that's really a big part of it is we need men in the pulpit, and the men in the churches that are bold and believe what they're doing. You know, my pastor, he's like that, he calls it out, you know, he goes after it, but he's not the norm. Most pastors that I see, a lot of the average pastors are not like that. They're not going to be like, oh, this is wrong. Nope, we can't do that. That's not biblical. Like, that's satanic, you know, like they don't. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's a, to me, that's one of the biggest issues. But part of the problem is they want to continue to keep them docile. And if you keep if you keep telling if you keep sending in men into seminaries and you keep teaching them critical race theory, in which a part of that is that white men are are you know fundamentally racist, right? And white Christian men are the worst of the worst of the oppressors. That's gonna get in their psyche when they get in the pulpit. They're gonna struggle with being confident you know so even though they're knowledgeable they're going to feel very castrated right so it's a weird psychology to get somebody trained to be smart teach the word this is the word of god but on the other side saying you're the enemy you know and, then, and i think that's what's tricky about it is christianity has oppressor and oppressed i mean in the sense that the christian you know when the when christianity first started you had the church and you had the romans right so it's like before constantine we were we had that dynamic right so in that sense we could relate. Like when you read the new Testament, right. And you learn about Paul being shipwrecked and, you know, going through hardships, right. Like the, they were persecuted by the Jews and, and whatever else, like the church, you know, whatever Nero, right. All these people like attacked them. So it's like, when we look at our history, we can see a lot of times that like people of faith are seen as like the enemy. And like, we need to go after them. Wow. So we can like going back to what you were saying earlier about Greek race theory, right. Like we can identify with that because we are the minority, you know, a lot of times throughout history. And now we're becoming more the minority. So in a lot of ways, Christianity's not as dominant. So we can relate with that because now it's like, shut up, you religious person. Get out of here with your religious views, right? So it's like, it's weird because Christianity is becoming itself a re- minority view in a lot of ways, or at least in the, in, the, in, the, in the world, in the outspoken world, not percentage wise, but like people who are loudest online are usually not conservative Christians. You know, people have the most following, right? Like Cardi B, she's not a conservative Christian, but she has like 50 million followers, right? So it's like those who have a voice, they don't, they're, they, you know, they're, they're not the ones that uh, have the conservative Christian views. So it's very hard to be like a salmon and just be like swimming upstream forever, you know? And that's why it's hard because like all these things are just attacking Christianity at the heart of it. You know, they hate God. And that's why, that's another reason why I think it's demonic because it makes sense. If something hates hates Christianity that much, specifically Christianity, right? Versus like Islam, right, or other religions, like they don't care about Buddhism, right? They don't care about. They, I mean, they do care about Islam in the violent sense, right? And maybe being a threat, but really, conservatives are the main ones that care about that, right? In Europe, you have a bunch of they're bringing in a bunch of Middle Easterners over there, you know, bringing all these refugees in, right? So the main ones they're afraid of are Christians. But what does that tell you? To me, that's a big indicator. That the devil's behind it because, you know, if they were like, oh, we hate Buddhists, Buddhists are terrible, let's get Buddhists. Okay, well, whatever, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just a distraction. But the fact that, like, everything, like, we're surrounded by anti Christian, like, every single way, it's like, you know, it's like it's so many layers of warfare, you know? Yep.
1: Yeah, it's an all out attack, but all things are used for the glory of God. And yep. even though this seems kind of bleak, I actually kind of look forward to it because Christianity thrives the most in those types of conditions. It wasn't designed for when things are going good. It was designed for when things are going bad, right. you know, and, and I think men back to them, I think they get it. I think they, they have had it too easy for too long in America and they know it. Because every man needs a battle to fight, a woman to save, and we need a a mission, right? And getting up and going to nine to five and air conditioning and driving home in your Tahoe and coming back home and turning on the Grammys, it's not doing it for guys and they know it and it's killing their souls. And I think personally that men are sitting around waiting for things to kick off so they can be men again and they can rediscover what it feels like to be a man. And I think the church is going to be a huge benefitter of that uh, because they're going to be the only game in town that's going to offer real manhood at the end of the day. And that's going to be an awesome thing because I think at that point we basically have a revival.
0: In, in the same way, you know, um, libertarianism, you know, I think is the perfect, you know, it's the perfect political view for a pluralistic society, not only racially but ideologically and religiously. You know, so if in theory everyone was libertarian, this is what I love about libertarianism. In theory, if everyone respected that everyone can govern themselves, everyone's free to live their own lives, right? And we just let the government just stop evil doers, right? We have a minarchist society. That's true peace, or like as close as we can get to it. You know, that's. But it's it's pretty intuitive, like respect to other people. But it's like you know, that's why, that's a big reason why I love Christianity and libertarianism, specifically like how they go together, because it, it allows for, like for me to be respected, which is what I really got into. Like, I want to be able to like, I said in the beginning, we go back to, we said earlier, religious freedom, right? I, I wanted to be free to like live my own religion, right? I wanted to be free to like, you know, be a Christian and like live my life out, right? But if, if they come after us, and they try and attack us, You know, it's going to be difficult for us, you know, and it's going to, but at the same time, I mean, you go back to Acts, right? What did God use suffering and persecution to scatter the church? They all wanted to stay in Israel, right? And he, you know, God and his sovereignty brings about the killing of Stephen, right? And, And look what happens, scattered, right? Like seeds from a tree, you know, martyrs and everyone went, you know, so then Thomas supposedly went to India. Right? Different people scattered all around the world so the gospel can go forth. Because the temptation is always to want to stay in the same area, you know? Yep. And then before, potentially the gospel could have just stayed in Israel and been, you know, all the uh, Jews all over again. Even though the gospel was for the world, right? The, God, the gospel had been given to the world now at that point. It wasn't just based on Israel, you know? So that's the cool thing about it is ultimately, like, God is, is in control in all this, you know? um going back to Psalms, psalms 139 like you knew me in my mother's womb you planned my days before they were you know before i even was right those texts are so freaking comforting and empowering right now right because like even john macarthur they're like oh they're gonna put you in jail he's like all right guess i'm gonna have a jail ministry right in his mind he's like god must have planned if i if i go to jail god planned for me to go to jail okay then let's do it there like he's not He's not like, oh my gosh, I go to jail. Like, God's failed. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? You know, he's just like, all right, looks like that's what God wants me to do. You know, and we can march forward like Israel, right? They would just continue to march forward knowing God had a plan. They didn't know where they were going. I mean, thing about it. The whole, the whole time, they know where they're going. They're just like, all right, we're just following the pillar. Like, what? Where are we going? I don't know. You know, I mean, he literally had one generation that just wandered, right? So it's like, That's our life. We are just following the pillar. We don't know where it's going, but we just keep moving. We just keep marching forward. And we know the whole thing is we, the thing about it is, is having the pillar there helps us. Because like, all right, obviously there's God. We don't know what he's doing, but we know there's a God because he's right there, like in the air. We can see him. There's a manifestation, but that's how we should feel now. We should feel now that there is even though we can't see God, but we should feel in our spirit that he's marching forward and he's, his kingdom's going to come. Like, He knew all this was going to happen you know he has a plan through all this you know so i'm just very for me personally i'm excited because it's going to purge the church that's my opinion i think there's a lot of false teachers that are being shown they're like they're taking off you know as as it says in the text it says those who were wolves in sheep's clothing right so a lot of people are wolves who are in sheep's clothing who are being exposed right now you know and so now we're going back to, like, a very minimalistic church of, like, the real church. Because as John MacArthur said in that, that thing, he said, it's not popular anymore to be a Christian. You know, back in, like, Reagan's day, the moral majority Christianity was common. I grew up, it was weird to not be a Christian. When I was, I was an atheist, I told you this before, I was an atheist in high school. And I didn't necessarily understand that I was an atheist. I just believed the Big Bang Theory and it was just part of the indoctrination. And I was, I was, I liked this Asian girl and we were kind of dating and I was like, Oh, are you, what are you, what's your religion? She's like, Oh, I'm a Buddhist. And I said, I was a Christian, you know, because that's what I knew. And that was my go-to. Like I didn't, I didn't realize I was an atheist. I'd never heard of it. Right. But that's how a lot of people have been historically, but being a Christian now you're you're, according to critical race theory and according to intersectionality, you're, especially if you're a white male, you're the oppressor. Why would I want to do that? That's not cool. I don't want to be the oppressor. Right. I want to go out there and riot with BLM side by side and, and go and, Woo, 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 you know get the, you know destroy yeah yeah anti-racist you know what i mean that's right. cool right now right amongst a lot of young people you know so christianity is not going to be something that you could just like tote like nominal christianity just being a christian by name is going to be gone so it's going to be beautiful because we're going to have a true pure bride we're going to see we're not going to have a bunch of false converts that are just hanging out that's it's fun
1: yeah no absolutely you know i worry about the generation but then i also I can't hang it on the generation either because you know I got so much crap from uh, people above me for being a millennial. When really they were blaming a lot of the Gen Z type stuff on me. Uh, right. I get lumped in with them, and I'm sure I yeah. probably get a little bit it do a good bifurcation
0: too. between the generations, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, the thing of it is, is the you know the boomers love to hang that shade on us. But guess what? Those are our parents. You know, like where yeah. were they what were they teaching what were they not teaching where were they you know and for us we don't have the same option because we know that our parents sent us off to school and hoped for the best and that's not enough anymore so we we can't just send your kids off to daycare and just send your kids off to school and that's that no the education is your job either you're doing it homeschool private school or at least supplementing your public school education with real education every chance you get, and which on
0: that note, I'm gonna plug. Go ahead and take a liberty to plug my books. I, I, um, I, I that's why that's the, the very first book I started writing um, was my Christian picture books on uh, who God is. So I have a whole series that I'm working on um, about who God is. So the first one is about how God is a the creator. The second one is about how God knows everything. The third one's about how God is everywhere. Right. So basically, the attributes of God. Right. Because to me, the main issue is people don't know who God is anymore. Right. Like literally who God himself is. Right. And so, like you said, it's a parent's job to teach the people about, teach their kids about God. So, you know, I'm doing my part in trying to assist them in that. You know, their parents didn't teach them about God. So now they're having to just like having to wing it. So, how do we assist one another in doing that? Well, let's create material, let's train one another to do that. You know, um, Vody talked about, how he grew up with a single, um, you know, single mom. She didn't, she was a Buddhist, you know? So him and his wife, you know, even though he's trained to the T, he has an MDiv and a PhD and all that. He said, didn't know how to teach his kids. He wasn't taught by his dad, right? His dad wasn't around. That wasn't a Christian. So he had to just figure it out. Right. What, what came out of that? He, he's written multiple books on family worship and, and how do you train your kids in the Lord? Right. And train, you know what I mean? Teaching them, you know? And obviously, if you send them to school, you have to, you still, you know, you got to do extra work, right? You're sending them to the pagans, but, you know, obviously it can still be done. But I'm just saying it's like, I wrote the books because my, specifically because of that, in the front of my books I put, my parents did not, not only did my parents not teach me about God, but they never even read to me, you know? And that's part of the reason too, is like our generation didn't really read. We were raised by TV and video games, you know? And our parents weren't ballsy enough to pull us out of there. And they just let us sit in front of screens. Right. And so then we, you know, we never really got in the habit of reading a lot of us, you know? And so then now as adults, we don't really read the average person doesn't read more than a book a year, you know? So that's because we, we have so much competing with it, but you have to be principled. Yeah, if you, you to want to, to go on the, if you want to go by just entertainment TVs there, it, it's, it's much more entertaining, you know, it's much, it's much easier way of consuming information. You know, but you have to believe that truth is valuable and knowledge is valuable to really say, oh, I'm going to turn off the TV, I'm going to read, I'm going to learn.
1: Yep. Yeah, you have to be very intentional with it. And that's the big difference between people who get it and people who don't. Are they intentional with what they're doing with their time? Uh, are they going out to read books, to read news articles, or are they listening to... Uh, little Nas X and watching Cardi B, right. Those kinds of differences. And yeah, that's a good place to stop. So I know you have a, a podcast. Tell everybody where to find your podcast.
0: Yeah. Um, my, my podcast and my website is labor for truth. They're the same name. So labor for is my website. Um, and then you can just search also the same name labor for truth on a podcast and then um, my book, if you are, if you like Liberty and you're kind of newer to it, I wrote a beginner's book, which we didn't talk about today. It's called, are you free the beginner's guide to Liberty? And that was kind of like, I, I wrote that just real quick plug. I wrote that to, um, I wrote it when I was relatively newer to it because I wanted to make sure that I wrote it when I didn't know all the technicalities of it. Cause I knew I was a guy who was going to go and learn all the technical and I knew I didn't want to get into all the, like the in, inner debates and stuff. And I'd want to be all nuanced right so I wrote a very like you know almost like a little primer a little you know smaller just real simple book like if somebody's like I never heard of this what are they even saying almost like what is libertarianism and you give them my book so I, I wanted to do that because I, I'm, I'm I'm more of a apologist or a polemics or whatever I'm more of a pioneer I'm the guy who's trying to go out and argue with Christians conservative Christians and get them into libertarianism you know one of my buddies, I talk to him every day. He went from being more re- re- Republican and I went after him and I've been talking to him for months. And I'm like, all right, here's this one thing after another. Okay. What about this? What about that? What do you think about this? And challenging them and trying to bring people in. That's the podcast is amplifying that, right? That's me taking all these conversations I had with them and trying to make it where I can bring people in, you know? So I have the theology and I have the, the, the learning to learn to, to, to be able to have the conversation with Christians. And so that's my heart is I, I love the conversations between the libertarians, but I, I want to bring people into freedom, you know? yeah. And that's why I have all the content that I have. But yeah, that's, that's my plug is my book. Are you free? And then laborfortruth.com or my podcast.
1: Awesome. No good stuff. We need as many people talking about these kinds of ideas as we can get. So I appreciate you being one of the people helping out.
0: Yes, sir. It's my pleasure. I love it. I love right. freedom. I think it's the way that God designed us right for it's, it's for freedom of crisis us free, you know?
1: Absolutely. Let's keep it that way. Amen. All right. Well, hey, man, it's been fun. You take care. We'll catch up later. All righty. Goodbye.